0: true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Pray with me and for me. Father, thank you today for your presence in this service. Lord, we could leave right now saying it's been so good to be in the presence of the Lord. But for some reason today, I know that you changed my heart on Friday and redirected me completely for a reason and a plan. And I have seen you manifest your word in this 11 o'clock service before the word was even preached. So God, I pray today for the next few moments, Lord, you'd remove every hindrance that would prohibit and hinder us from hearing and receiving what you're going to speak to us today through Your word. I pray, Lord, you'd anoint these lips of clay that I would speak your word and not my own, but that your word would come forth in the power and the demonstration of your spirit. That you'd anoint every ear to hear what you're speaking to hearts today and every heart to receive the word so that, God, we can leave this place differently than we came. We can leave this place saying our worship will never be the same again because, God, you have spoken to us today. You have manifested your word and we declare Declare and decree that we at Freedom Point Church will be a people that worship you in spirit and in truth. Let your word do it today. We'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you, Elizabeth. Worship is not a plan or a performance. Hmm. See, I had different plans to preach something different this Sunday, and on Friday, the Lord gave me what I like to refer to as writer's block. Anybody that's ever written, you know what that's like? Anybody that's ever preached, you may know what that's like. I got writer's block. Everything I wanted to preach in the Word, there was some good things to preach, but God had a God thing that He wanted me to preach, and so... He changed, completely changed my message, and then he didn't just give me one, but I've actually got three messages on worship. I don't know, we may, after what God's done in this 11 o'clock service, I hadn't announced a series, but we might carry on with this for a couple more weeks, I'm not really sure. But the Lord wants to speak to us about worship. Worship is not a plan or a set of songs or a performance, As a matter of fact, one of the core values of this church is that we are a church that will seek the presence of God over the performance of man. That's what one of our core values on the wall, the DNA wall out there in the lobby, says. Worship is also not merely the time of the service that we spend singing in church. Worship is a heartfelt experience And a heartfelt response to an awesome, all-knowing, all-caring, all-powerful, all-controlling God. Can I get a witness this morning? See, in today's culture, when we talk about worship, or when you hear somebody say, man, and somebody will probably say this maybe today, man, worship was great. The worship was off the charts. We've all heard that. But the majority of the time when you hear that, people are talking about the atmosphere. That's what they're referring to. Listen, you know I am not against creating an atmosphere for worship. As a matter of fact, I believe it is our due diligence as church leaders to create an atmosphere in which worship becomes natural And it becomes easy to do. Sometimes people are timid and they're backward and they're shy. I want to create an atmosphere where people will do like Abby said. Get in your own little worship bubble and pretend like it's just you and Jesus and worship. I believe we should. That's our due diligence as church leaders to to create an atmosphere for worship. But hear me and hear me well this morning. Worship is not about the atmosphere. Yes, the sound The media, the lighting, the presentation, the instrumental and the vocal performances, they can all either distract and hinder or they can enhance the atmosphere of worship. But none of those things that I just mentioned define what true worship is. See, if your worship I'm a, is it all right if I preach a little bit this morning? Some of y'all might help me, but I'm afraid some of y'all won't. If your worship is dependent on whether or not they sing your style of music, that's not true worship. If your worship is dependent to the lights being off, And the or the lights being on. If your worship is dependent on that, that's not true worship. If your worship is dependent on the sound being good. And all of the vocalists and musicians being spot on. That's good music. But that's not true worship. I love good music. But I'll choose anointed music any day. If your worship is dependent upon the majority of the rest of the worshipers being relatively close to your age, regardless of whether you're young, and I'm not going to point at the old, if your worship is dependent On the demographic and the dynamic of the different age groups in the church, your worship. Somebody says, we can't have a, in a small church, we can't have a youth group because we ain't got many youth. Hogwash. I said hogwash. Create an atmosphere of worship and you'll see young people flop to it by the droves. If your worship is dependent upon the other worshipers being relatively close in age to you, that's not true worship. All of those things that I've just mentioned are elements of the atmosphere. But true worship is not about the existing atmosphere. True worship will change the atmosphere. I'm going to prove it to you this morning from the Word. Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 34. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they've come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them down before the authorities of the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials they are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stri- uh, stripped and beaten with wooden rods. Does that sound good to anybody? They were severely beaten. And then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, darkest hour of the night, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. That don't sound like most Pentecostals I know. And the other prisoners were listening. You know why it's important that you praise and worship when you're going through the deepest, darkest, worst days of your life? Because there's prisoners All around that are watching and listening to how you react when you're going through it. And so suddenly, say suddenly, the word said there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open and he assumed the prisoners had escaped so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We're all here. The jailer called for the lights and he ran into the dungeon and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Hey guys, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. We're doing that next Sunday. He brought them into his house and he set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. I don't normally give you points, but I'm going to give you four today. So if you're taking notes, you can write them down. Number one. True worship changes the atmosphere. True worship changes the atmosphere. I want you to think about for just a moment the atmosphere that Paul and Silas had been given. The cards that they had been dealt that day, if you will. They were arrested. They were beaten. They were placed in stocks. And they were imprisoned. Not just imprisoned, but in the dungeon part of the prison, if you will. In Darkness, total darkness. The atmosphere had drastically changed for the worst. But the atmosphere did not change their worship. Hmm. I'm not really sure how this went down. But I've always envisioned Paul looking over at Silas in the middle of that atmosphere. Now what I'm about to sing, somebody says they didn't sing that. Bless God, they didn't sing that new worship song. I got news for you. They also didn't sing Amazing Grace because it hadn't been written yet. Are you with me? I'm not real sure how it went down, but I believe in the middle of that atmosphere. I've always envisioned Paul looking over at Silas and saying, Hey Silas, I think we ought to sing a song. This has not been a very good day. As a matter of fact, if it was Dr. Seuss, he would have said, this is a no good, very bad day. This has not been a very good day. But you know what, Silas? He's worthy of it all. And they began to sing. And maybe after they sang a little bit of that one, they switched to the other one they sung this morning. And they said, oh, there's nothing... Better than you. See, when you're going through it and the prisoners are listening and you've been beaten, you've been placed in stocks and in bonds, and they know when there's something different about you or when your nature is just like theirs is. They know whether out of your mouth is coming blessing or out of your mouth is coming cursing because of what you're going through. And they're listening. And when they heard them singing, when they got to the part, I believe, you turn graves into gardens. You turn beauty to ashes, you turn mourning to dancing. It was about that time as they began to sing, something began to shake, something began to give, there was a massive earthquake, the cells came open, the chains fell off. (laughs) Woo, Why? Why? Because the atmosphere was what it was. But before you knew it, their worship and their praise changed the atmosphere. Verse 26 said, There was a shaking so great that the chains fell off every prisoner. Public service announcement. Many houses of worship today are not seeing chains fall off the bound like they used to. Because they've replaced True worship. I got a word from God this morning. They've replaced true worship with synthetic worship. What do you mean, Pastor? Synthetic worship is dependent on the atmosphere. But true worship will change the atmosphere, true worship will set the captives free. True worship will create an atmosphere where the lost want to be saved. See, I bet you don't come too late to tell me. I've been in the services where the doors busted open and somebody came running to the altar to get saved or when they ran from the back to the altar and fell on it before the altar was ever open. I've been in those kind of services. As a matter of fact, just a few weeks ago, there's Savannah. Right before I took the pulpit to preach... They brought Savannah to me from the lobby because she wanted to pray and rededicate her life to Jesus. A true atmosphere of worship will change the atmosphere. The lost will want to be saved. See, here's the problem with synthetic worship. I'm going to preach a little while. Some of y'all ain't going to like it. You can dwell in an atmosphere of synthetic worship. And bound people still stay bound. Lost people still say lost. But when true worship is in the house, the lost are crying out. What must I do to be saved? The bound are crying out. You ever been? Anybody ever been in a good service? And you saw somebody else just get lost in their worship bubble and just begin to praise the Lord. Maybe get lost in worship, dance, shout, do all that. Anybody ever been in one of those services and been like, God, I'll have what he's having. Anybody ever been there? I'll take a little bit of what she's got. You know what happens in a true atmosphere of worship? The bound will cry out, I want to be free. I want to experience that. I want what they've got. True worship changes The atmosphere. Number two, true worship. Hear me well. We miss this one a lot, especially in Pentecost. True worship is not about my worth. True worship is about His. Luke chapter 7, starting with verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kissed his feet, putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, See, preachers, let me talk to you for just a second. If they talked about Jesus like this, Quit your belly aching and crying. They're definitely going to talk about you like that. If this man is a prophet, can you imagine? Speaking of Jesus, if he's a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. I don't know which disciple that was, but he was a self-righteous Pentecostal. She's a sinner. She can't touch me. Then Jesus, and I love this. I'm glad I serve a God that can answer your thoughts. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I got something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, hmm. I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And then he turned to that woman. And then he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. He rebuked Simon Good. I love this. He said, when I entered your house, you didn't even offer me water to wash the dust off my feet. But her, she washed my feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair. You, you didn't even, you self-righteous Pentecostal. You didn't even give me a kiss. But her, she's not stopped kissing my feet from the time I first came in the room. He said, you, you neglected me, the courtesy of olive oil, to anoint my head. But she, she's anointing my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, yes, though they are many, have been forgiven. That's the kind of God we serve this morning. Have forgiven been forgiven so she has shown me much love but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love then jesus said to the woman your sins are forgiven we don't worship him because we're worthy we worship him because he's worthy Pastor, I've I've had a bad week. I made some mistakes this week. I have messed up. That's okay. Some of you said, now wait a minute, don't leave it there. Self-righteous people getting nervous right now. He's about to give them a ticket to sin. That's okay. Let me tell you something this morning. Maybe you have messed up. His worth can't be altered by your successes or your failures. His worth can't be altered by your successes or your failures. All you have to do is say, God, I know I've messed up this week. Forgive me then you can walk in here and say, he's worthy because he forgave me again. Not only did he forgive my sins past, but he forgives my sins present. And I know that I can do like 1 John 1 and 9 says, when John said, little children, I command you that you sin not. But, anybody glad for the buts in the Bible? But if you do, you have an advocate with Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for your sins. And you can say, God, forgive me. And then you can come in and worship him because he's worthy. See, by the same token, those of you that get up tired about people worshiping and you saw them, listen, you might have saw them somewhere you shouldn't have saw them on Friday night. It's real quiet right now. But the psalmist tells me his mercies are new every morning. Whether they struggle with alcohol and they were having a drink, or you struggle with not telling the complete truth, hello? It's no different. Or whether you're secretly str- I'm going to preach a little bit today. You're secretly struggling sitting at home looking at pornography when nobody's watching. Uh-huh. Why in the world do you talk about that, pastor? Because I know one preacher whose children are all still in church today but got caught... Got caught when they looked at his computer at the church. God help us. He was addicted. I would to God that we'd stop being so self righteous that people that struggle, a man that struggles, could come to the altar and find another man and say, Pray for me. I'm struggling with this addiction. We become so self righteous. And so holy, we can't get the law saved because we won't even acknowledge the sin in our own life. True worship. By the same token, a lot of times as Pentecostals, even if we've had a good week, or if we feel like we've done good, we feel like we've been good, and we've done good, when we hinge our worship, when we hinge our worship on that, that's not true worship at all. When you worship, i got to tell you something this morning, um, when you worship the Lord, it cannot be dependent on how good you've been or how good you feel. I have had it, I, I know this ain't going to set well with some people, but I have had it up to here with people that will come in the house of God and all of a sudden, out of the blue, out of nowhere, they have a day when they're just feeling it real good. And because they're feeling it real good, they give it a little praise, give it a little dance, shout a little jig. But next week it's all, dep- I know some of y'all getting mad right now. Next week, it's all dependent on how they feel. I want to tell you something this morning. You say, now wait a minute, preacher. I'm Pentecostal. I'm Pentecostal. I got to feel it. I got to feel it now. I got to feel it before I do it. I got news for you. If you have to feel it, it's not true worship. It's emotional fanaticism. That gets your emotions worked up, and because you feel good, David encouraged himself in the Lord. But also, in one of the toughest times of his life, he danced before the Lord with all of his might. He didn't just dance like he felt it with all of his might. With meant with everything that he had. When he started getting short of breath, when he started getting low on energy, he didn't stop dancing. He didn't stop giving God praise. He kept on praising. True worship. True worship. See, when we do it the other way, it's synthetic worship. But the Father is looking for some true worshipers. Those who know their worship isn't based on their worth anyway, it's based on His. Number three, true worship. I need to do that more often because now I'm out of breath. True worship. My watch is asking me if I want to record my workout. (laughs) Go ahead. That's probably the only credit I'll get. Amen. True worship is giving our all to God. Holding nothing back. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, Paul said, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living And a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable, that is truly the way to what? Worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Vadi Bakum. not that I expect anybody in the house to know who that is this morning. Uh, Jenny knows who he is. He's the former pastor of the famous Grace Family Baptist Church in Texas. If you've never heard of it, look it up. Massive church. But he left there and currently he's the dean of theology at the African Christian University in Zambia. He felt the call to go to Zambia for that university when he left the church. I'm, I just told you all that so you'd understand who he is, but Voddie Bauckham said this, and I, they put this on the screen for me so you could let it sink in. He said, the modern church is producing passionate people with empty heads who love the Jesus they don't know very well. The modern church today is producing Passionate people with empty heads who love the Jesus they don't even know very well. When I read that quote, I got stirred within me. Now, don't anybody get nervous. I'm not going to name call this morning, but I could. There's some modern worship, Christian worship genres of music. If you watch their videos, you will find passion. You will sa- see passionate people worshiping God, loving on Jesus. But here's what I've come to discover. Some of those genres of music are loving on a Jesus that they don't know very well. Why do you say that, Pastor? I could name call this morning, but I won't. One of the most powerful male vocalists in one of those groups has since left that group, and he's on staff at a church in Texas because he wanted to find a place that would affirm uh, and approve of same-sex marriage. But when, oh, you ain't gonna help me preach now. Mm-hmm. I know how this goes. But if you go back and watch his, see, he didn't change. Some of y'all said, Oh, he changed. He's lost it. Uh uh-uh. uh. No, he was that way when he was leading worship for that genre of music, for that worship artist group that y'all know very well. Holy, oh, they've got some great songs. We sing them. They've written some great music. We sing them. But he was no different while he was leading worship there. You know what that tells me he was? He was a passionate people. You can put that one back on the screen, Jordan. He was a passionate person with an empty head who's loving on a Jesus that he obviously doesn't know very well. That's why people, you know what they're looking for? This isn't popular today. You can't fill every seat in the church house preaching this today. Because people want to find a church where the worship is lively. The praise is vibrant. The atmosphere is good. The preacher is motivational. The service is is the same week after week, but yet they can leave there unchanged, undifferent than the way they came in, and they leave there condoning sin in their own life. And then if I couldn't find the good, and I do find a lot of good. That's why I'm still out there on social media. You can use it for good. Some of y'all don't. I see your post. And if you unfriend me, you better block me, because if you unfriend me, I'm going to your page to look anyway. And it's not your post, really, that I'm talking about, except sometimes when y'all lose your full mind on Facebook and blast somebody over something. That doesn't speak very well of you or your church. Amen, somebody. Amen, somebody. But here's what I'm talking about. And if I saw this within this church, trust me. If I have your number, you'd be getting a phone call. And if I don't have your number, you will be getting a messenger. But when they get on social media, y'all have seen it. You know what I'm talking about. They're part of a church somewhere that runs a lot of numbers, has a great atmosphere of worship. But they get on social media When somebody else takes a stand according to the Word of God about you name it, doesn't matter whether it's same sex marriage, homosexuality and lesbianism, fornication. Hmm. Did y'all know that? Did y'all know that having sex with somebody before you married them is a sin in the Bible? Did y'all know that? Did you? I wonder sometimes. Did y'all know it was wrong to live with them? Somebody help me preach up in this church this morning. Did you know it was wrong? If you didn't, you do now. But they want to talk about on social media when somebody else takes a stand. Oh, it's been said about me. He's a bigot. Because I preach the truth. Call me a bigot if you want call me what you want to call me. If people looked at Jesus and said, if he was even a true prophet, why do I think they're going to look at me and praise me? But here's what I've got to say to that this morning. People get on Facebook and they say, or Instagram or some of the stuff I'm not even on, TikTok and threads and whatever. I don't know how y'all have time for all that. One or two avenues of it wears me flat, slick out. But anyway, they get on there and they say, Oh, he's judging. She's judging. Doesn't the word say, Judge not, lest you be judged? Yeah, but it also says, Judge righteously. That's what it says. And it also says that every man that says, Lord, Lord, is not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then they want to say, well, I, I read it this week. Do you know, has anybody ever have to, had to resist that spirit that gets in your hands and it's not the Holy Ghost? That wants to respond to something. I was sitting there at my desk in the church. So I actually, and I don't do this very much. I was on Facebook on my computer. And I don't, my wife can tell you, I don't get on Facebook a lot during the day. And actually... Where's she at? Is she in here? Oh, shoot. It was her fault I was even on Facebook here at the church. (laughs) She texted me and sent me a screenshot of something and said, did you see this? And it wasn't nothing bad. It was about somebody going through something that I didn't know. She likes to keep me up on, you know. So I pulled it up to read it myself. Someway, somehow, while it was sitting there on news feed... I saw where somebody had taken a stand in their post about something according to the Word of God, and these people were commenting on it and saying that they were judging, we're not supposed to judge, all that, and what they had taken a stand against was blatant sin in black and white in the Word of God. And people were commenting on there, obviously, you're the reason why people don't want to go to church you're the reason why people don't want anything to do with church people then somebody else comes on there and says well you ought to come to my church I do this and I do that and my church accepts me for the way I am and I'm still going to heaven my hands went I wanted to say but here, can I say this while I'm at it? Did I know? Please, do your pastor, and your church, and your family, and your own character a favor, and don't try to argue with foolishness on social media. It's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Right? But I was thinking, God help us. That people, and I sat at my desk and I said, God, I'm not going to type it, but help me that this church never becomes a church where people can walk in and out those doors on a weekly basis and participate in the worship and go out and tell somebody else that their lifestyle is okay when the Word of God spells it out in black and white. God, help us. That's not a church. That's not a church. That's a social club. And I'm like Sweet Brown. Ain't nobody got time for that. I ain't got time for a social club. I want to be a part of a life-changing, true, authentic house of worship where lives are changed. True worship is giving everything you've got to God and holding nothing back. True worship is not living like the world and then coming into the house of God on Sundays or Wednesdays and lifting up unholy hands. That's synthetic worship. True worship is presenting everything you have to him as a living sacrifice. I'm almost finished. Do you all know what a sacrifice is? Do you know what that means? Webster defines sacrifice two ways, as a noun and a verb. As a noun, the definition says that sacrifice is an act of slaughtering an animal or a person or surrendering a possession as an offering to God or to a divine supernatural figure. As a verb, it defines sacrifice as to offer or kill as a religious sacrifice. A living sacrifice would then seem to be the biggest oxymoron we've ever heard, right? How do you kill something that's alive? I'm glad you ask, Because what Paul is saying in this passage of scripture, hear me well. The more you kill your flesh, the more alive your spirit man becomes. And the very act of killing your flesh in order to feed your spirit is one of the most genuine, authentic acts of worship that you can ever offer to God. True worship is giving your all to God, holding nothing back. And the fourth point, true worship, true worship can't be silenced by your circumstances. In the book of Job, chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. There was once a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless. A man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. Somebody said, why were they female? I don't know. They're always better than a male, right? He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. And when these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt sacrifice, one for each of them. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned while they were throwing that party and they've cursed God in their hearts. The Bible said this was Job's regular practice. Parents, don't ever stop praying for your babies. Don't ever stop praying for your babies. One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless. A man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out. Take away everything he has and he'll surely curse you to your face. All right, the Lord said. You may test him. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, you want to talk about a no good, very bad day, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided us, they stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I'm the only one that escaped to tell you. But while that man was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. But while he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. And I'm the only one that escaped to tell you. And if that wasn't bad enough, while he was still speaking, another messenger came in with this news. Your sons and your daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. Job, the house collapsed. And all of your children are dead. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. And with all of that news, this gets me every time. The Bible says Job stood up and he tore his robe in grief. And then he shaved his head and he fell to the ground and began to worship. Can you imagine? You know what Job probably wasn't? He probably wasn't a feeling dependent Pentecostal. He fell to the ground and he worshiped. Here's what he said. I'm going to paraphrase. I didn't have anything when I came into this world. And I may not have anything when I go out of it. But the Lord gave me everything that I've ever had. And it was his to take away to begin with. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Wow Wow True worship Cannot be silenced By your circumstances Synthetic worship can But true worship Will be alive on the inside of us If they come to the music this morning Or this afternoon now It'll be alive on the inside of us on even the worst, darkest days of our lives. I want to share two stories with you this morning. And I debated even on Friday about putting the names in here. But I felt like I couldn't tell the stories without it. And it also make them more real. But I'll never forget... When Ray and Phyllis White, some of you remember them, some of you didn't know them Ray owned Bissells of Corbin, Phyllis still does Harleywood Productions, several businesses, very successful businessman But a wonderful Christian man Absolute picture of health Worked out every single day, Monday through Friday Had a home gym Nicer than any home gym you've ever seen Or I had ever seen he looked like the perfect picture of health But he got diagnosed With brain cancer His church went through All of that with him Just like we did Brother Benny and He went through the same thing We prayed We fasted We trusted the Lord His wife Phyllis Did the same thing During COVID, February of 2020, I believe, or 21, I can't remember, but anyway, he um, was sitting at home, he was battling that cancer, he was sitting at home one night, watching TV with Phyllis, holding hands on the couch, when he began to seize. Phyllis called 911 and she called me and Angie away from here Angie and I jumped in the vehicle we ran up there the ambulance was still working on him when we got there they put him in the ambulance and Angie got in Phyllis's car and drove Phyllis to the hospital I locked up their house when them and the ambulance left got in my truck and headed to the hospital so when I got to the hospital they were already in there when I got to the doors of the ER the doors opened the doctor was standing there waiting on me he said are you pastor I said yes sir I am He said, come with me. I thought we were going straight back to the ER. We bypassed the ER doors and started heading down the hallway. I've been there enough to know where I was going. We were headed to the chapel, and I said, Doc? He was a good doctor, very knowledgeable, does not much bedside manner. I wasn't even prepared. He said, oh, yeah, he's gone. He was gone when he got here. I said, you're kidding. He said, no. He said, we're just waiting on you. We're going to tell her. So we went in the room. He gave her the news. Angie and I was there with her. We cried. We prayed. A few other people came. And then, you know how they do. They came and they said, Miss White, we've got him ready for you to come in and say your final goodbyes if you would like to do that. She said, okay. I told her, I said, Phyllis, we'll we'll go with you if you want us to go. We'll stay outside the door and pray while you go in. Whatever you want us to do, we'll do. She said, I want you to go with me. I'm glad she did because I've witnessed something that I will never, as long as I live, get out of my mind. We entered that room. Angie on one side of her and me on the other. We walked her in she got beside Ray's bed and she looked at a husband that she had just lost unexpectedly. He was doing good with treatment. Things were going well, we thought. But he just immediately began to seize and left this world. You know what she did? She put one hand on Ray and she began to weep. She lifted the other hand and she said, God, I worship you. I thank you for 21 years of wonderful marriage. I thank you for a godly man that led our home and helped me raise our children. And she just began to worship. And then all of a sudden, she just fell to her knees at the side of his bed, lifted both hands, and worshipped for at least 20 minutes. And all Angie and I could do was just stand there and sob as she worshipped. When I was preparing this message on Friday The Lord reminded me of that You know why? That's true worship That's true worship The other situation that sticks out in my mind I don't think they're here this morning I've not seen them But in May During COVID We had a 15 year old member of our youth group loved church loved youth wonderful kid tall thin you would have never thought anything was wrong and once again when I got the call I was not expecting there's sometimes you get the call you expect the worst there's times that you don't we got the call at 1030 at night Angie and I were getting in the bed phone rang it was Tammy Thomas she was frantic Sean, Dakota's unresponsive. We called 911. Please pray. Please, I said, you want me to come to you? She said, yes. And then while we was trying to get dressed, Sierra called and she said, I'm on my way to mom's. Dakota's unresponsive. And I said, we're on our way. We got there. We were there while they worked with him in the bedroom. And then we were there when they wheeled him out to the ambulance and they worked with him in the ambulance for what seemed like forever. And then when we went to the hospital, when, as we left going to the hospital, by the time... All of this had taken place. I counted 21 first responder vehicles that lined Echo Valley Road. We got to the hospital. Once again, they took us back. And they said, he's gone. 15 years old. Good kid. Went into cardiac arrest. And I myself, I'm not going to lie to you, I was in that emergency room myself saying, just in my mind, why God, why? And all I could think of was what if that was my baby, what if that was Shelbo? In my class on Wednesday nights right now we're studying about the things you speak and the things you say and how many know sometimes people have said the dumbest things they could ever say in the event of a death or at a funeral. Anybody ever been like me and had the spirit of slap come on you and you just wanted to slap somebody in the next week with what they said? So I was praying under my breath as we were back in the ER. Donald would collapse and I'd catch him and just hold him and cry cry and pray. We'd get him situated in a chair and then Tammy would almost collapse and me and Angie would get her and we'd just cry and pray. And the whole time I'm praying, God, give me something. Give me something to say. There was probably at least 75 to 100 scriptures went through my mind. But how many also know there's a time and a place for everything? And I would start to think I was going to say something to them and maybe even quote a scripture. And then you know what I'd think? Hold up. If somebody said that to you and that was Shelbo on that table, you'd lay them out right here. And trust me, I would. So I'd say nothing, I'd just cry and pray. We went through that during COVID in the worst possible time. He was an ROTC student, very popular kid, well liked by many people. But we had to do his funeral visitation as a drive through at House Rawlings. They put him behind a glass and there was at least a thousand, we stood outside and greeted at least a thousand people that came through that visitation and all the while I'm thinking why God I had to go home and prepare a message to preach his funeral a funeral in which only 25 people could be in the chapel at House Rawlings they had to choose who could be there 25 counting the family, the minister, the whole nines There's 25 of us inside, several hundred outside on the parking lot watching it by live stream. When I went home to prepare that message, I thought, God, this is awful. Losing their 15 year old baby, and only 25 people can enter the building. This is horrible. Why, God? But I prepared that message. But before I ever preached it, they had asked for some specific music. Abby was singing another image I'll never get out of my mind. She was singing, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, my God, that is who you are. She got to the bridge and she began to sing, even when I can't see it, you're working. About that time, Donald Thomas sprung to his feet. He let out a cry and lifted both of his hands in the air and just began to worship. Tammy joined him. Even when I can't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. And I stood there and I thought, my God, on the deepest, darkest day of their life, Even they recognized what true worship was all about. Can I tell you this morning? We're missing true worship in the church today. I said we're missing true worship in the church today. The Holy Ghost said just a few minutes ago, and I'm almost done, I promise. The Holy Ghost said just a few minutes ago, What am I worth to you? Is this just another event on your weekly list of things to do? I thank God that we're running 400 people between two services on Sunday mornings. I thank God for that. But I'm more concerned about what number of us are actually coming to give some true worship. Are you with me this morning? Is it just something else that you do to put on your list so that you can check it off this week? Or are you truly setting aside time? To come into the house of God and say, God, I worship you. God, I thank you. Oh, I wish I could find some true worshipers in the house this morning that would stand to your feet and lift your hands and say, God, I worship you. God, I praise you. God, I thank you. This is your time. This is your day. I will worship you. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8 Paul said in every place of worship I want men to pray with holy hands lifted to God in every place of worship I want to try something this morning could I just get as many of you that will to just right now please forget about where you're going when this service is over I realize it's 1246 I get it Forget about where you're going when this service is over. Forget about what's going on today. Forget about what's going on in your life. Forget about what you're going through right now. Forget about everybody around you and close your eyes. And just lift your hands. And just begin to worship. Just begin to talk to Him. Come on. Talk to Him. If you was at a ball game, you'd cheer on the Red Hounds. I would too. Talk to Him this morning. Begin to worship Him. Begin to lift your hands and your voice to Him. The psalmist said, oh, that men would praise Him. In another passage, David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Don't just listen to me magnifying, but let us exalt His name together. In another passage, he said, shout unto God, all ye people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. He's looking for some true worshipers this morning. Would you just worship Him? All over this room, just worship Him. Hallelujah. Come on, give Him about about 30 to 60 seconds of worship. Would you do that? Trevor, you can go ahead and get the lights. Give Him about 30 to 60 seconds of worship. Would you do that this morning? Just lift your hands, lift your voice. If you don't know what else to say to Him, say, God, I thank you for saving me. God, I thank you that I'm alive and well this morning. I thank you that my children are healthy. I thank you there's a roof over my head. I thank you there's clothes on my back. I thank you there's shoes on my feet. I thank you that I'm in my right mind this morning. I thank you for that car that I drove to the house of God in. God, you've been good. You've been good to me. And I worship you today.